Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. I have an interesting message today, and uh, I know as soon as I start and you you figure out what book I'm teaching out of, you're all going to like feel like we got Depeche Mode in the background and we're all going to go, I'm so depressed. But really, that's not where we're going with this, all right? Because I'm teaching out of Ecclesiastes, which for those of you who don't know, it's not pronounced Ecclesiastics, like I said for years. It's Ecclesiastes. And uh, many years ago, uh, my best friend died. And Ron immediately said, you should read Ecclesiastes. And uh, I, it didn't work out real well for me that time. Um, in fact, by the end of it, I was wondering, why would he want to do that to me? And, uh, but now, I read Ecclesiastes. And I'm starting to see a difference in it. Um, it's not that the scripture changed, it's that I changed. And um, I'd like to share my findings with you, if that's all right. So Ecclesiastes um, is an interesting book. It's, it's one of the uh, wisdom texts in the Bible, and um, it's really not meant to depress you. Uh, <laughs> and so it starts out, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. And so who's, who is this, right? He's a teacher. It's not the guy talking to us. He's saying the word, he's quoting what a teacher said. And what the teacher said was meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Boy, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? He's really complaining here. You know, he says meaningless and under the sun 40 times in this book. It doesn't leave much for being excited or joyful. It's not exactly like reading Philippians where, you know, he says rejoice many, many times. But he's talking about something that's a very simple concept. See, we we keep trying to make our lives better, right? Everything we do is about making things better all the time. And we, we want to pretend we're more mature than that, but not really, right? I go to school, why? So that someday I can have a good job. I get a good job, why? So that I can make enough money to be happy. But it's never enough money, right? It's never a good enough job. We're always striving to be more. There's always this hunger to do something better, to get something more. The word for meaningless, it's translated to meaningless, in this book is actually hevel. And meaningless probably isn't the greatest translation for it. Um, It does fit, but kind of like you hear the word shalom, and shalom, the word peace doesn't quite fit shalom. It does describe it, but it doesn't uh, encapsulate the entirety of the definition of shalom. Salam is so much more than just peace. And it's the same with Hevel. Hevel is a lot more than just meaningless. It's the reason that it's meaningless that makes the word Hevel important. 
But we'll get back to that. He goes on to say, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. That's poetic, isn't it? That paints a picture. It's really good poetry. Imagine you go in to take a bath, and you turn the water on. And you go off, and you do the dishes, and you clean the living room. You come back, it's still not full. Go back, do the, it's still not full. There's got to be a problem for it to not get full, right? So why doesn't the sea fill up? Why? I think we know now, but... But that is exactly what our life is like. You eat only to get hungry again. You work to get paid only to be broke again. (laughs) And everything we seem to do is to fill that, to change that, to make it to where we can finally rest, right? Even tithing. I hate to admit it, but when I started tithing, it was because someone told me it would fix my finances. And if that's why you've started tithing, you're doing it for the wrong reason. (laughs) You know, you've missed the point like I did. And it's easy to fall into that trap, right? Because you're deciding if you're going to trust God with your finances or not and actually do what he said. And so you ask questions. As a new Christian, it's what I did. I asked people, why, why would you do that? How, how is giving up 10% of what you gain going to grow what you get? Couldn't understand that. Growing it, this isn't the point. But then people will tell you the same thing I did for years. I'll tell you the story of when they started tithing. When I started tithing, I decided to trust God with 5%. That's kind of like trusting God, right? And so uh, we were trying to save up and replace Lisa's car because it was going to die very soon. And, and so like, I made the decision, all right, I'm going to trust him. And instead of putting money in that savings for the car, which we were pretty broke back then, and uh, instead of putting money in the savings for the car, I put 5% to the church that week. And after church was over, a friend came up to me named Mark McMahon and said, hey, Lisa's in college, right? And I'm all, yeah. And he's like, I know a guy who wants to give a car to a college student who's a mother, and it's just like mine. Do you want it? And I'm like, okay, I trust you, God. (laughs) Next week, it was 10%, right? (laughs) I had completely missed the point. He helped me out. But that's not why we tithe. We tithe because he told us to. And see, people who tithe because they're waiting to find that extra 20 bucks in a jacket they forgot about, right? They don't tithe very long. And they're not consistent about it. Their their, uh, trust in God doesn't 
exist through that fleeting moment where it seems like God's doing all these cool things because you tithed. Because then what happens when he doesn't? And believe it or not, that's what Ecclesiastes is about. It's the what about when he doesn't. So to further describe Hevel, Hevel is more of a paradox, right? Hevel is the fact that the way it should be is if I do good things, good things should follow, right? If I'm giving out food to the poor, then I shouldn't run out of money. If I'm being honest, then I shouldn't get in trouble for the truth. But what happens, like it happens often, when good things happen to bad people? What happens when bad things happen to good people? What does that do to your faith? What does it do to mine? I got to admit, sometimes I look up at God and I'm like, what are you doing? This wasn't my plan. It's so much for humility. He goes on. Generations come and go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning its course. Streams all flow to the sea. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. That was Proverbs. That's the point where I was supposed to explain that Proverbs says the same thing. Follow your notes, Steve. Catch up, Steve. You got this. So there's three wisdom books. Some people say there's five. Some people say there's seven. But just trust me, there's three, okay? We got Proverbs. We got Job. And we got Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is, everyone knows that as wisdom. Ecclesiastes, people call depression. And Job is like, why is this even in the book? <laughs> so like Proverbs is there to explain every, how everything should be, right? Proverbs there to tell us if you live this way, this is what's supposed to happen after. And the idea is that if you live this way, it tends to work out this way, right? If I spend my life telling the truth, even when it hurts, people are going to tend to believe me most of the time. If I spend my life being honest with my checkbook, it's probably going to work out, right? It might not, though. Proverbs tells us, the light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. That's a wonderful thing, right? But then Job shows up. And Job tells us, how often is it really stomped out? How often? Because things didn't work out so great for Job most of the time. He was living right. It was all going well. And then it wasn't. 
Ecclesiastes comes with 7.15 and says, In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. And that's rough. Because we're expecting God to show up and judge them. And how bad we want God to do that, right? When somebody cuts you off in traffic, you want so bad for them to get stuck in that lane that they got in and you get to pass them, right? You're just waiting for that grace on the freeway, right? When someone cheats at a race, you're waiting for their tire to blow out or something and cause them to lose, like kind of like tortoise and the hare stuff. We love those stories. We love the stories where the bad guy who's twisting his mustache and ruining things for other people get tripped up by fate somehow. And we attribute that to God, of course. Hey, Jennifer, can you bring her those uh, headphones right there so I don't hear myself in her phone? (laughs) I usually do that, but I'm up here. Thanks. But here's the rub. In Proverbs, it says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now, how many of you can tell me that that isn't true? It is. So how do you live in the balance of that paradox? How do you live in the balance of... If you live this way, things will go well, but not always. That's what Hevel is. That's why he keeps yelling Hevel all the way through this. He's saying, this is supposed to be the way it happens, but this is the way it happens sometimes. That's Hevel. This is how it should happen, but it's not happening that way. That's Hevel. The oceans are getting filled up constantly, but they're never full. That's a paradox. That's Hevel. And that's what our lives are here on earth. But if that's all you see, just like the tithing thing earlier, you're missing the point. We have to remember where our blessings come from. We have to remember why our blessings exist. I don't worship Jesus Because my experience here on earth is awesome. Which I got to tell you, it has been way more awesome with Jesus than it was without. I have to tell you. But my reason for doing it isn't because of what's going on here. My reason for doing it is what's happening later. There's a promise. A guy named Tim Mackey. I'm I'm really into Tim Mackey these days. I think you guys uh, sitting out there get to watch the stages of my study, right? 
really big into Dallas Willard, so you guys hear me talking a lot about Dallas Willard. Now it's Tim Mackey. You guys get to hear quotes from Tim Mackey all the time. And Tim Mackey said that it's the book of Proverbs, not the book of promises. I like that. Ecclesiastes puts Proverbs in check. I think I've completely left my notes now. <laughs> Thanks, God. <laughs> so one of my favorite stories in the Bible, I've told it a bunch of times from every angle, is that moment when the 12 are on a boat and they see Jesus out there. And at first they're terrified and then they realize who it is. Peter calls out to Jesus, if it's really you out there, call me out and I'll come. Now think about that statement for a second. He knew that if that was Jesus standing out there, and only if it was Jesus, he could walk on water too because Jesus said it would happen. That's faith, right? That's more faith than most of us will ever muster up in a, in a moment like that. And then Jesus gets out, I mean, Peter gets out on the water, and he steps, and it's working. He steps, and it's working. And then he sees the waves, and he starts to sink. He calls out for Jesus to help him. Immediately, Jesus grabs him up and pulls him up and says, You have little faith. The first time I looked at that story in this way was when Snake was talking once. And he talked about how much faith it took for Jesus to get out the boat, right? But in that moment, Jesus isn't talking about the size of Peter's faith because it took a huge amount of faith to step out of that boat. He was talking about the duration of Peter's faith. He had so much faith. Peter was this guy who was super passionate, right? (laughs) That's why he had the attitude he had. That's why most of us can totally relate to Peter and not as much Paul. Because he was so passionate. He was so passionate that he would believe hard for 10 minutes. And then something shiny, <laughs> you know. Anyone, anyone relate to that? Just, uh, was it last week, Ken, or week before? I was right over here. Kent came up and said, hey, can you pray for my knee? And so we prayed. And like, you know, nothing's happening. Oh, okay. I guess he's not healing today. Right? I was perfectly content with that. By the end of the service, uh, I, I might get the order of events wrong here, Ken. I'm sorry. By the end of the service, he's like, I'm, I think I'm 25% now. You know? I'm getting there. It's healing. Later that day, hey, 50%. Got a text, I think, the next day. I played hockey this morning. Was it the day after? Played hockey this morning. I'm at 100%. Like, hey, don't clap for me. It was all him. I didn't even have faith. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I was obedient. 
Boom, right there, nail on the head. She just skipped to the end. Everyone have a nice day. No. (laughs) That is the point right there. We do what he tells us to do out of obedience. We leave the responsibility of it to him. When I pray for people, I'm not praying so everyone knows that I have the ability to heal. Because believe me, I don't. I pray for people because he told me to love you. And because he has put love in my heart for you, I have the ability to love you. And the only thing I can do, when you see someone hurting, if any of you are parents, you get this. Your your kid has a temperature of 104. You're freaking out. What do I do? I've heard that you put them in cold water, but I've heard that puts them in shock. So I'll put them in warm water, but that might raise the temperature. And you don't know what to do, and you're desperate. That's how we should feel for each and every person in here who needs prayer. Because that's how he loves us. But we have the same problem as Peter. We might have a lot of faith, but we don't have the duration, or at least most of the time. Or maybe not even all of us. So we have to exercise it. The first time I ever preached and talked about the story with Peter, it was all about exercising those muscles, right? Your faith muscles. And uh, I had a pastor come down on me. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> right there, and I was in Africa, right? Sitting at the lunch table afterwards, and I had a handful of church leaders and pastors saying, Faith is a gift. It's a gift of the Spirit. It's not something you can muster up, and they're right. It's true. Faith is God given. But if you don't use it, what's the point of it? If you don't use it, then it'll still be that 10 minutes of obedience. That 10 minutes, if I know you got this, oh, maybe you don't, (laughs) you know? You have to be willing to step over the chicken line. You have to be willing to do it, and here's why. There's a man named John Orberg. One of the greatest books I ever read. It's called All Things New. See, everyone loves to talk about the end times, right? Everyone loves to talk about all the horrible things that are going to happen and, and either we're going to be pulled out of here before anything goes wrong and then come back or, or we're going to be pulled out halfway through it or we're going to be here through the whole thing and we're going to meet Jesus in heaven and come back with swords and all this. Everyone loves to talk about everything all the way up to the wedding supper. And then you hear crickets. We don't hear about that much. Well, this book, All Things New, he talks about everything from the wedding supper on. And it's amazing. That's the thing that we're waiting for. That's the moment that the oceans get full. The only thing most people talk about after the wedding supper is we all go to heaven. And that is inherently not true. What happens is heaven comes here. And see, we get to live part of that right now. You hear Ron talk about it all the time. It's what the theology, kingdom theology, is what the vineyard was built on. And we get pieces of it all the time. Just little parts of heaven going, boom, you're healed. Boom, you feel the presence of God. Right? This is what happens. You see it all the time in this room. We need to take it out there more often than we do, but you see it all the time in this room. 
there's going to be a time when everything that went wrong on this planet is undone. Lies will become truth. They'll be unlied. Things that were stolen will be unstolen. Every time you were hurt will become unhurt. I can't even imagine what exactly what that's going to be like. But think of every deep down hurt that you remember. And think about how it won't be wrong anymore. That's what he's going to do. There's going to be a time when nobody hurts anyone. And no one remembers pain. Water. Water is a beautiful thing. Mm. It didn't fill the ocean, but it helped. So, uh, there's going to be a time when everything is right. Everything is shalom. And that's what the promise is. That's what we're promised. That what Jesus did on the cross, by, by living a life and coming back and dying on a cross, we get to be a part of that. Wow. <laughs> and Steve said onto the room, let there be light. <laughs> no, that was bad. Um, this thing is the thing we're waiting for. That's why we're, we're always hungry, right? That's the reason. It's because we're waiting for that moment. In Matthew uh, 24, 12, it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, all love... I'm sorry. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That is so packed that everyone goes in on what he's talking about and veers off to a distraction. Everyone goes, that's when the end comes. Let's talk about end times. Right? <laughs> everyone talks about, oh, wait, you have, if you don't, Trust all the way till the end and you're screwed, <laughs> you know, and that's also missing the point. The point here is he's talking about duration. We're supposed to trust him for more than 10 minutes. We need to start living our lives as if he's like we're on a tightrope and he is the net. If I fall off the tightrope, boom, I'm good because he's the net. I'm not spending my life trying to catch up with God. <laughs> I remember thinking that when I first came around. Like I had spent so long running away from him that when I turn around, he's way over there. Hey, God, can you see me? And it wasn't like that. <laughs> because as I was running away from God and I turned around, the kingdom was at hand. He, I could reach him right then. And we can reach him now, but the point is, we can really reach him then. The best I can describe 
or the best I've ever heard it described, uh, the person wasn't even trying to describe heaven. It was from a Star Trek, Next Generation. <laughs> My nerd is out. So, and it's the, the worst possible character saying it, and the actress, you're really going to laugh, her name is Guinan, <laughs> and the actress is Whoopi Goldberg, of all people, <laughs> to describe heaven. But really what she's describing is this phenomenon in, in the universe, and it's like this ribbon that goes through the universe, and if, you pass, if it passes through you or you end up in it, it's like uh, nothing in there is real, and you're in this existence of everything is absolutely perfect all the time. It's just... All your memories that were bad turn good, right? And that's kind of how I picture heaven. It's like she described it as imagine being able to wear joy like it was a blanket. Yeah. Imagine being with your friends eating a feast all the time. And he's there. The guest of honor is always there. He's always present. And the vineyard always say constantly is, come, Lord, come, Lord, come, Lord, because we're addicted to his presence. Imagine having your fill of God 24-7. That's heaven. And the closest we're ever going to get to it here on earth is fleeting moments. And so these moments are really odd moments. He talks about it here in uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. That is not what I wanted to read. <laughs> yeah. Where did it go? I'm missing a scripture. At one point, he talks about how Eating is good, and steak is good, and especially bacon, right? He's talking about all these things are good, so do them. Enjoy your youth while you have it, right? Uh, there's a saying that, that people have, uh, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. I think that comes from France or something. That's where this comes from, is this book, believe it or not. The point of the book isn't, I'm so depressed. The point is, reality happens. Whether you're a Christian or not, life is life. This is a broken world. Enjoy what you can until you're with your maker. The best time we're going to have is when everything is satisfied. Right? You're sitting down at a meal plenty of feasts there. Have you noticed Jews came up with feasts for everything? Whenever they celebrated God, they were eating together. There's a reason for that. There's a picture there. You're sitting at the table with your friends and your family. You love everyone. You're cracking jokes and laughing, and you've eaten what you're going to eat. You're satisfied. For a brief moment, you're not reaching for something more. That's heaven. When we're in heaven, there'll be nothing more to reach for. We'll not need to set a table ever again. We'll be satisfied. 
Imagine what it's like when desire isn't grumbling all the time. And that's what brings me to now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is a good or evil. So the point of that is, it's not up to me to figure out if something is good or evil or right or wrong or if it should have been this way or it should have been that way. It is what it is. I remember uh, I was trying to figure out if I was an addict or why I was an addict when I was brand new to recovery, right? And I'm talking to my grand sponsor. He's like this guy who always answered you with the question, so we called him Yoda. And... Uh, Old dude, Richard from Chico, um, awesome guy. And so I'm asking him, what is it that makes me an addict? Why am I an addict? And uh, he answered with a question. He said, we were in a, sitting in an RV at the time, and he said, this RV, or a whale's mouth is big enough that you could easily park this RV inside it, but his throat is no bigger than your fist. Why? And I had a bunch of answers, right? Because he eats plankton. No. Uh, yeah. Everything I said, no. 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 Finally, I got frustrated. I'm like, fine, why? He's like, it just is. The question you should be asking is, can you learn to live with it? Boom. The world's broken. Things are going to go wrong. People you care about are going to die. It's our job to live with it and trust God. That's the whole point. We've got to trust them when they persecute us. We've got to trust them when they're closing down our churches. We've got to trust them when we win the lottery and we have more money than we know what to do with. Those scary times like that, yeah. Not everything's a blessing, is it? We need to trust him till the end. That's the point. And trust him until the time when all things are new. And that's what, that's what the bread and the cup that we're about to partake in is about. He said that if you don't eat of my flesh and drink my blood, then you won't be a part of me. We've got to trust him in that. Baptism is really something. We're going to do one today. Um, young Brad, uh, he was going to be in the room for this, but he's actually teaching <laughs> the youth right now. He's our oldest youth, and he's going off in the army next week. And uh, we're going to give him a send-off. As the band comes back up, um, we're going we're gonna to go into a time of communion to end things off. So all of you that want to come to God, whether you've done this before or not, come down and, and grab a cracker and dip it, or we got the cute little cups. If you don't want to touch something, someone's touched. Really commune with God. Have a feast right here at the table of his body and his blood. And commune with him in this moment. 
really thank you guys for coming and listening. Bless you. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.